Greetings. I am Mary McCoolberry. Welcome back to Reading Swizzle. In this episode, we're going to swizzle around more of E.D. Hirsch Jr.'s ideas in his book, How to Educate a Citizen. I was particularly interested in this chapter, which is titled, The Problem Starts at Our Teacher Training Institutes. Hirsch begins the chapter with a, a quote from the former president of Teachers College at Columbia University, a man by the name of Arthur Levine, who states, the education our teachers receive today is determined more by ideology and personal predilection than the needs of our children. Hirsch states, I believe in my opinion quite correctly when he says, our educational failures must signal that our dominant cultural educational ideas are off kilter. This whole nature knows best point of view is not correct. That school is artificial and unappealing to the child. And I would beg to differ as my years, 32 years as a classroom teacher, and I continue teaching today. Because Hirsch, as we've talked about earlier, most of our schools have this educationally romantic idea of how learning is constructed. And he says, because of our educational romanticism, many, many young readers still struggle to decode print. This is a moral and educational scandal. Teacher training is more like theological seminaries than training institutes such as nursing or medical school. I agree with him. I thought this was a really good picture for you to put in your head and really contemplate this. Spiders at birth can immediately begin weaving intricate webs, though they have yet to learn how to do it or even show them an example. Why? This is instinctual on the part of spiders. They can catch their food on their own from their very start. Human babies though? No. They, everything they learn must be modeled or taught by adults. So let's consider writing and reading. These are thoroughly human inventions. He writes, this is a thoroughly cultural, not natural phenomenon, and is no surprise that the mastery of reading should require a pragmatic, non-instinctual, artificial mode of learning. Our teachers and education professors need to adjust their view of what is natural. So many of the students with whom I work today were taught with this balanced literacy or are taught in their classroom with balanced literacy. The notion that the books can be put out, children are leveled according to a Fontes and Pinnell reading inventory, uh, and then they can go to book baskets at their level and learn to read. This simply is not true. 
personalized education is okay. We have to personalize uh, education because our learners are all different and coming from different places. But he said there's a fundamental error, and this is it. We cannot personalize the topics of instruction. Hirsch writes, an excellent teacher can offer all the same underlying topics and ideas, but the shared content will accommodate each child's level. All children in the classroom have in common the essential background knowledge that they need, even as they are encouraged to grasp what is being discussed. So he says sometime in the 1960s, and we've talked about Jefferson and Noah Webster and Horace Mann, progressivism fell into disrepute. And that gave way to this ideology called constructivism, in which students construct their own learning. He writes, learning can be prolonged and disorganized when elementary children learn multiple topics without progression or coherence by choosing their projects, topics, and subject matters. The adoption of progressivism as the official mode of instruction has ensured the educational decline of the United States. So consider one elementary building. And I, as I mentioned in a previous episode, we are teaching the standards, the common core standards, but there is no content, absolutely no content outlined in those common core standards. So a student in Ohio where I live could travel to Georgia and be learning something different or to Texas or California because we're all doing something different. Not only that, but we are doing something different in each classroom in the same school because the interpretation of those standards is really up to the individual teacher or the principal or the school board. So there is no common content knowledge that our students are learning. Hirsch takes particular aim at a program that has been sold for millions of dollars, as Emily Hanford mentioned, across our nation. And this is the Teachers College of Reading and Writing, their project, uh, uh, Teachers College Reading and Writing Project. What they did, what, what the, the author of this program did, and her team was to sell classroom libraries. So consider this, for five, they, each classroom would, sell, would receive between 500 and 750 colorful books at each grade level, and they are graded on difficulty and they have multiple topics. Hirsch said, it's okay if you're going to provide kids with books like that to take home as practice, but using them instead of a coherent knowledge-based curriculum presents a missed opportunity. What are the costs? So the date of publication of this book was 2020, so I'm sure they've gone up. For kindergarten, you receive 700 books, for about a cost of $4,600. First grade, you receive 689 books for a cost of 
$4,200. If you buy the whole collection, kids will have lots of object, uh, op options. Hirsch calls this the cl classroom library scheme, which I love because I did teacher's college. I was mandated to use this program the last seven years of my classroom teaching career. And what I found was that so many kids are left behind. They're not taught synthetic phonics. They There's a blended approach and um, we're not using the science. So kids were pretending they could read books and going to their book baskets. And it looked so lovely because people that are readers like myself love to see kids with books in their hands, but they weren't learning a whole lot. They were writing on sticky notes and the sticky notes would be all over the classroom. Many of the marks that they were writing on the sticky notes, she could not read. Furthermore, Hirsch says, this classroom library scheme scheme has not worked in raising reading scores. Children are constructing their knowledge, but what happens to general subjects like history and civics? History has gone by the wayside. It's now called social studies. It's the abandonment of history as a serious subject in elementary school. All of this discussion is about elementary school. That is where I am from. I'm an expert, as many of my, my friends and colleagues are, who have spent decades in an elementary school. Diane Ravitch, she writes, nature of the early grades is content-free. The social studies curriculum for K through three grades is organized around the study of relationships, the home, the school, the community. This curriculum is dominant in the early grades of American education. But listen to this. It contains nothing. It contains no mythology, legends, bio biographies, hero tales, or great events in this li the life of this nation or any other. It lacks substantial content. And I don't think people, the average taxpayer, the average citizen in America knows this. Children find its narrow focus, deeply boring, trivial, and repetitious. I thought this was so interesting because, because I know the way I taught. And we, I was also trying to infuse project-based learning, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a future episode because the project-based learning I did through the Smithsonian Institution, I believe, was very worthwhile. But listen to this. From the National Assessment of Educational Progress, Americans' factual knowledge about our nation's history ideals, and its details of its form of government has declined sharply since the 1970s. Less than half of the eighth graders surveyed in 2010, so this is a while ago, less than half knew the Bill of Rights purpose. Only one in 10 had an age-appropriate understanding the knowledge of checks and balances among our branches of government. 
And scores on the 2000 NAEP were lower for low income and minority students. Black students on average scored 24 to 30 points lower than their white counterparts. And what, why does this matter? Because the persistent civic achievement gap undermines the quality equality of all citizens. We don't even know, many people don't even know how our government works. Many of us agree now in education that uh, phonics must be taught. So that's happening. The purpose of my cast is to talk about vocabulary, comprehension, and fluency. And you don't have good comprehension or build vocabulary or fluency unless students all have background knowledge. Lisa Delpit is an African-American educator who wrote the book Other People's Children in 1995, and Hirsch references uh, Miss Delpit in his in this chapter. Miss Delpit writes, the classroom language was often meaningless to Black students and others whose language and shared knowledge was not that of the American print culture and what, what more advantaged American children received at home. Discovery learning, inquiry learning, and methods for students to work out for themselves. How are they supposed to do that, she writes. They don't know what you're talking about. And in my last episode with Dr. Jenna Finnegan, Dr. Finnegan said, we are missing the boat with math because the students don't have the necessary prerequisite knowledge to solve math problems because they don't know the basics. We need to go back to the, the drawing board. We need to go back to the beginning, according to math expert, Dr. Jenna Finnegan. That was our last episode. The essence of school disadvantage is the lack of prerequisite prior knowledge to understand much less perform a particular task. So while I believe in problem-based or phenomenon-based learning, you can't give that kind of learning without scaffolding, without showing the students and teaching the skills that they need. So the gap widens. Why uh, Hirsch contends we give students explicit whole class instruction and they will gain relatively more than advantaged kids will. Why? They have so much more to learn. They have to amass the needed prior knowledge and knowledge focused on within the lesson itself. If you favor equality, if you favor that children understand what they read, they build a working uh, vocabulary that's rich. If you favor, favor people can read something fluently, so with expression in their voice where they stop at punctuation, he writes, you should favor that the definite shared knowledge curriculum taught by the most compelling means. It's compelling, it's explicit. 
I think that this is worth a shot. And this is why I'm dedicating so much of my time to make others aware of Hirsch's ideas. I don't feel that they they're out there enough. And I think that we need to take a look at them more carefully because when students leave our classrooms, they need to know about their country. They need to know how to work math. They need to know a, an array of content. And we simply aren't teaching any of that today in the elementary school. So this is about the elementary school. I am from the elementary school environment where I've spent decades. I hope that you pick up this book. If you can't, then this podcast and videocast is here to kind of highlight and illuminate the, the points that Hirsch is making. If you have any questions or comments, you may reach me at mary at readkeys.com. So for now, these are ideas worth considering that will help build equity, comprehension, vocabulary, and fluency for all students. I am Mary McCool Berry. Good night.